Hey everyone, welcome back to the Whiskey Raiders podcast. My name is Jay, better known as Take from WhiskeyRaiders.com, and I am joined by John from the Bourbon Finder. I have a bottle of whiskey here in front of me. It has been a crazy week in the world of whiskey, which means it is time for another episode here tonight. Before we go ahead and get started, guys, just a reminder that WhiskeyRaiders.com is launching our new Bottle of the Month subscription program soon. It's an awesome opportunity to try 90 plus rated whiskeys. Uh, along with me in a virtual tasting every month. Uh, all you do is sign up. Whiskey comes to your door. We taste it together, and you delight in the best of what we've tasted. It seems like a pretty good setup to me. And without further ado, John, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, you have reinvigorated my interest in the Whiskey Club, too. I forgot about that. <laughs> it's going to be, I think, really fun to also like sip through those on the show. And you know, we could do, like I don't know, a small segment or whatever a little teaser for each like bottle of the month or something. I think that'll be super fun. We've had actually a pretty good amount of feedback come through already of folks who are excited to not have to hunt down bottles that have been highly rated and or tasted by us and really pumped about it. So that makes like a lot of good whiskey things coming together. And I think that's a good enough point for me to stop talking and start drinking some of this. <laughs> so tonight we have actually I'm going to go back to a point early on in our time together John and I started talking about whiskey during the pandemic and our joke was always that we wore blazers and button-ups for our weekly live streams but there was never any pants involved and this is your opportunity as a whiskey drinker to stop putting on pants and having to go worry about chasing through stores and trying bad whiskey and this is a good opportunity to just have it come straight to you so I order thought you were gonna say, this is my opportunity to finally put pants on and i was <laughs> gonna say look man if i have to quit tonight i'll do it <laughs> i mean i've been traveling a lot lately and that does unfortunately require pants but this mm. is your opportunity to procure 90 plus whiskey from whiskeyreaders.com sans pants so i think before we risk we put this episode in any more risky territory. This is a good time to jump into the whiskey. Tonight, we have a huge topic. Uh, for many of you, you've heard of a brand known as Penelope Whiskey. I guess they have gone by Penelope Bourbon, even though they've done a number of other things that aren't bourbon. But uh, earlier this week, the news dropped. It was a bombshell. I was still wearing my derby jacket Monday morning uh, because that's how it goes after the derby. I was sitting down at the table at my Airbnb from the Derby, and I saw that Penelope Bourbon has been acquired by MGP, uh, now known, I think, as Ross and Squibb. Uh, but MGP, previously Midwest Grain Products, is one of the largest sourcing distillers in the country. And this is huge no, uh, news because it's a $100 million acquisition. So tonight, John and I figured we would talk about that, give you some industry insight, and also we'd pour our favorite Penelope through the years. So I'm curious to hear from you, John. What do you got poured? So I was very excited to talk about this. Longtime friends of the show, Mike and Danny from Penelope. Long time. Uh, we have, geez, we've blended a number of custom things with them. Tried a lot of their stuff. So we've got to review a lot of their stuff even a little bit early too, which is really fun. But uh, I was kind of digging through the memory banks here thinking, what have I really, like what has stood out to me? And like some of the highlights in my mind are kind of like the Architect series when that first came out was really fun. The Valencia was pretty cool when that came out. I said, but you know, like, I feel like the one that I go back to is batch five of their barrel strength, which I feel like is when they really kind of hit their stride as blenders. Like that to me is when Danny really kind of said, I, I think I have my mind wrapped around this big fuck off spreadsheet 
with like <laughs> all of these things in it. I know what I'm doing. I'm comfortable here. I'm going to dive in on this next batch. And that one to me really popped. And it had this great citrus note. I can actually very specifically remember the very first time I had a sip of it. It had shown up on a night where I had picked up a bunch of great barbecue. And it was a cold enough evening that just the bottle in shipping was almost frosty when I took it out of the box. And I was like, well, I wasn't going to have whiskey with dinner, but now I'm going to have whiskey with dinner. And since <laughs> I am, I'm going to try this alongside some brisket and that like citrus pop to it really kind of like jived in a way I loved. Anyway, long story short, tonight I was going to grab that bottle of batch five and dig back into it and reminisce on the good times as we talked about the $100 million bombshell. And well, fuck me, I couldn't find it. I have no idea where I put that bottle. So <laughs> if you are one of my dirtbag buddies who has benefited from me giving you whiskey that I like, and you have that bottle, congratulations. You should drink that as you listen to this, unless you're driving, of course. I think that's what I was going to go with. But since I couldn't find it, I grabbed the Valencia. So, which is another one that's like, I, I like it so much as damn near gone. But yeah. I have some of that left. And I was like, you know what? That I think is a great one to toast the evening with. So what about that, you? What did you get into? That is super funny. So uh, funny enough, I had uh, I had my two favorite, uh, you know, kind of releases in my hands. I had the new Architect, and I forget which build that was, but it was one of the ones, I think it was three, the Architect. And I had Valencia in my hand, and I thought, okay, like I know John also really liked the Valencia. And like, I'm not trying to give us a layup for the show, but like, it'd be really weird if we both showed up with the same bottle. But, and then on the other hand, I was like, oh man, he definitely, though, was a huge fan of the Architect. So he's definitely going to go with the Architect. I'm going to go Valencia. Boom. Like artwork on paper, done, sold, buttoned nice. up. And then we both opened up our, our computers and boom, we both have Valencia because that's what I picked. So, huh, you know, look at us what, go. This will parlay perfectly into a conversation point later. But I mean, this is a, it's a straight bourbon finished in Vino de Naranja, which is orange wine casks, uh, you know, sweet wine, orange wine casks from over in Europe. A really beautiful whiskey. It's interesting because it's proofed at 97 proof, which is is kind of uh, words to make every like really hardcore bourbon fan kind of hiss a little bit. But this this whiskey just works for me. I've been drinking it all the time. It's really been tough to find, which sucks because it's awesome. I keep telling people to buy it and they go, well, where? And I go, uh, oh, shoot. Like, I actually yeah. don't know where to tell you to buy Good it. Like, boy. I have no idea where this is on shelves. But like, what a cool release. And, you know, it's it's kind of a, to me, I think it it points to a little key to their success. So that's what I'm drinking here tonight. And man, it is delicious. Yeah, I'm with you. And what's funny about that to me, too, is that I also, I was in the same boat you were, technically speaking, here, where I thought for sure that you were going to be grabbing the architect. And I was like, well, <laughs> as much as I like that one, A, I'm not entirely sure where it is. And I was like, I just got the kids to bed. Do I really want to go digging through the entire bottle bunker, which is very likely to result in swearing and me banging things around and more swearing? And I was just like, you know, I bet I've got one of those over in the studio I could just grab. And then I was like, you know what? I think that's where batch five is. And that's the one I want anyway. And <laughs> lo and behold, I go and grab it. And the one that I thought was five is actually batch seven. I was like, ah, seven's good. That's why I kept it here. You know, got to keep it close to the recording area just because you might need it. And yeah, utility. Yeah. And I was just like, well, fuck. Now I got to go digging. And then I looked and here was the Valencia. I was like, that's also the other one. Okay. I was like, 
That'll be perfect. Jay will have the architect. So here we are both thinking the other one's going to pick the other bottle. And we'd both show up looking like a couple of ladies in the same dress at the prom. <laughs> I was going to say, initially, my first thought was like, hey, we should just name this episode Two Idiots Try to Read Each Other's Minds. But instead, I'm going to name this $100 million. Damn. Let's talk about it, man. So what happens when you are a boutique brand focused on blending and creating delicious stuff that you are sourcing from someplace else. And then that place happens to want to acquire you. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so this is, this is a really interesting scenario. And let's go ahead and dig in this a little bit. Uh, Penelope Bourbon started in 2019 by two dudes who are neighbors who had kids about the same time. It was started in 2019. And I say that uh, kind of definitively and twice because the year is currently 2023. It's May 10th. It's 2023. I don't know when in, in 2019 they started, but let's just assume it's January 1st. So it's been about four years and a couple of months. And these dudes have put together a company that's being bought for nine digits. And what's important here is that Penelope has always been and they've unashamedly been a non-distilling producer. And that's important because a lot of brands are non-distilling producers, but would love for you to think that they are an actual distiller. Right. They would love for you to think that they are making their whiskey. And some of them do a good job of disclosing stuff. Others are pretty murky. But Penelope has always been really upfront. Like, hey, guys, we don't make a single drop of this. Our job is to buy it and we blend it and we release what we think are cool products at, at, at different price points or proof points or we're doing finishing but our job is to blend and create something with ingredients that are made by very competent distillers. And that competent yeah. distiller has always been Midwest Grain Products, MGP. They create a gajillions of gallons of whiskey for all sorts of brands ever. Um, but Penelope, you know, they don't have a still. They are just a bottler. That's not a, not a, not a, you know, kind of a, a phrase to put them down. Like blending and bottling is a lot of work, but it's crazy to me. And I think crazy for a lot of people to think that, you know, with, on the heels of the Wilderness Trail acquisition for $600 million, they were distilling. And it, it's kind of an interesting first look at like, oh, does a lack of a still devalue a company? And, and I think the long answer is no. But also, like these guys have covered a lot of ground in four years, man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I think you sort of conjured up in the, the gray matter between my ears was in either our first or second time sitting down with Mike and Danny from Penelope, they, like you mentioned, that their transparency has always been very good. Another thing that I've always thought was so commendable by these guys is that they're just so down to earth and like flat out say, on day one, we had no fucking clue what we were doing. Like we didn't know, like, I think Mike's exact words were, and like this, I'm sure it would be mildly different from the way Danny remembers it. <laughs> uh, being as that Danny was the, the blender there. But I believe Mike's words were something along the lines of, we had no fucking clue what we were doing and we just put everything together and decided to try and see if it tasted good. Yeah. And that was how they that. made their batch one of their barrel strength. And I think it was probably about batch two or three where we caught up with getting the releases and trying them out in you know, their successional order. And it was, like I said, batch five for me really kind of like, oh shit, these guys figured it out. Like Brian. they say that they don't know what they're doing, but the amount of hours that they're putting in at the blending table and the amount of work that they're doing is really starting to show. And like those humble roots are definitely what make an NDP into something that's like, hey, 
we're a hundred million dollar entity. Let's dance. And I think it's a good point too. It was actually fun. I didn't realize until later on that they had been started so recently. You know, 2019 for all of us feels like ancient history, but 2020 was like a hell of a year. True. And, it, you know, it, craziness, like I did the Whiskey from Home, uh, you know, virtual whiskey conference that was put on by Bourbon Pursuit. Oh, yeah. and, that was fun. Yeah, and Mike and Danny reached out and said, hey, you know, uh, we'd love to send you some whiskey. And I was like, cool, never heard of you, but here's my address, send it on over. And and admittedly, the first stuff, it was okay. Like I liked it. Yeah, and it was fine. interesting to me, like their opening product was to attack a low-proof mixing whiskey. And they're like, we think we can do it awesome and at a crazy good price point. And I thought like, God, the Kahani's on these dudes. But you know, fast forwarding a couple of years, a lot of people seem to think that four years in the industry makes this brand kind of infantile. Like they're very young. And to that, I say like, look at any other brand, like any new brand that you respect, like Smoke Wagon, or any of the other non-distilling producers like Nashville Barrel Company, or even look at your favorite, you know, some people have like, look at your favorite YouTubers or whiskey personalities and look at where they got their start. And, and gosh darn, if 2018, 2019, 2020 wasn't a huge hotbed for those years of development of talent. But where we come back to here is the value of this transaction is just Goliath. And what I don't think a lot of people realize is that uh, these two dudes are not pocketing $105 million today. Like the brand is worth a lot, but also they've been sourcing from MGP. They had huge contract stocks of whiskey at MGP. And MGP is running low on their old, like their own whiskey because they've sold so much of it on the market. So to me, this transaction reads like a Goliath, kind of like a stock buyback, like you'd see from an airline or a big business. Like this is MGP buying back huge amounts of inventory that will give them the flexibility to either release new products or to grow Penelope. And then also they get an established brand that isn't like shoot them up guns, bootleggers, old dudes drinking whiskey, like saloon shit. As much and as they we love a, those things. Yeah, but every brand has it. Like, you know, Penelope has a huge P and it's named after a baby girl. Like that is the antithesis of a modern whiskey brand, at least in my opinion. So I think that this... This transaction reads a little different than most people expect, but this is MGP buying back most of their, you know, most of this, I think, is their own barrels. And they gain a cool brand and a good marketing, kind of marketing force at the same time. But like, you know, that's a lot of barrels. It's like 20,000 20, barrels, 15,000 barrels, 30,000 barrels. Like that is a lot of stock that I don't think a lot of people assumed Penelope had. Yeah, that, that's got to be, uh, that might even be an understatement really that most folks just didn't realize what these guys were holding on to on the contracts that they had. But on top of that, like this is definitely MGP reinvesting in themselves in, in their brand portfolio and being able to extend things out there. There aren't just the Remus releases or the other things that are perhaps the most well-known things that are rolling out of their own brands. But when you start looking at something like, even if, and this isn't speculation at all. I'm just like giving you a, a scenario. Even if all they did was scrub most of the Penelope portfolio and release a, I, I don't remember the SRP. The SRP was maybe 35 to 40-ish bucks for their a standard run-of-the-mill oh, yeah. like Penelope bourbon that is just a plain label. I think if it was 35. They, yeah. yeah, I think that's what they were going for anyway. I don't know if the price has creeped at all since then crept, creeped, whatever's funnier. But if they <laughs> just scrubbed everything and continued on with releasing a well-aged, meaning four and a half to five-ish years is right about what it usually is, 
product for a great price like that, like they're still going to just absolutely curb stomp competition. Who is selling five-year MGP for a hundred bucks? Oh yeah. And I firmly believe, you know, we've seen acquisitions and we've commented on them before and we're lucky enough to be close enough to a lot of these producers to understand their place in the market, you know, without having to be like, well, the brand told me this and therefore we paired it to you. But like, you know, brands are bought for three things. It's what they have, it's what they do, and it's where they are. And so, you know, obviously if MGP wanted to buy back a shit ton of barrels, the first place to go would be Smoke Wagon Whiskey. And it's clear that Smoke Wagon and Penelope exist on two different planes, right? Like Smoke Wagon has just a Goliath amount of whiskey. And, and, and in my perspective, they're essentially unviable. Either Smoke Wagon will never want to sell because they're having a good time and they're making a gajillion dollars. Or frankly, you know, MGP doesn't have the cash to purchase back the amount of contracted stock that Smoke Wagon has procured over the years. And that could be barrels they have in inventory now, or it could be futures contracts, like a contracts that MGP have agreed to that say, we will produce X amount of barrels for you for the next, you know, insert number of years here, whether it's 5, 10, 20. And, and honestly, if the distillery is feeling pressure, they still have to honor that contract. Otherwise, there's big fines for breach of contract. But if you can't afford Smoke Wagon, let's go down the chain. The next biggest, clearly, in my opinion, was Penelope. And they're in a lot of states. I want to say they're in 20 plus states with RNDC, huge major national distribution. They do non-traditional whiskey really well. Like we said, there's no gunslingers, there's no bootleggers, there's no like, you know, big dude campaigns around like the very standard tropes we see in whiskey. And honestly, they had a lot of barrels. So I think they, you know, they they kind of falter on the national distribution. Like they could be in more states. They're not everywhere. I think, you know, Smoke Wagon probably edges them out there. But they they do what they do well. And they have what they have, which is a lot of barrels. And that makes them really easy to buy for an astronomical amount of money. And if you look at it, MGP is doing no finishing in their portfolio. And Penelope really has made their name on blending and finishing. So this is this sure. is almost a perfect addition, if you ask me. Yeah, it is. Uh, it makes me think of another thing here. And this is like kind of my last major point that I had tucked away. And you could take this and uh, do what you will with it. And then we can sort of wrap here. But something that sort of stuck out to me was the only other evolution I could see. I don't think, that, again, this is not a prediction. This isn't even speculation. This is just like the meanderings of my mind and the <laughs> the, the weird things that happen in this pile of uncooked hamburg nice. meat yeah um the things that i think about here is like the cooler transition so like obviously mgp and penelope started sort of like mgp really got them off the ground and you know mike and danny are hustlers they just worked hard entrepreneurial dudes did everything they could to basically get MGP to go against their normal policy of being like, if you want to buy from us, you need to buy X barrels. And this X has four X's after it. You need <laughs> to really sign on the line here. And they were like, guys, come on. We need like 20 barrels. That's it. Like we could start with this. And now MGP has, I would say, agreed so much with what the uh, vision was that they bought into it entirely. What if... Now, this is where it gets weird. In a crazier universe, the master distiller leaves, joins a brand, builds this brand with stock that he distilled at MGP, and then MGP buys said brand. I'm talking old elk, of course. But like that would be, (laughs) I think, the only crazier turn of events here of like the 
starting with MGP and turning into something else and then coming back into the fold. I, th- I think Old Elk is the only thing that would really be a funnier, maybe not funnier, but like crazier story arc. <laughs> I can tell him a little I didn't sleep because I was like, gee, that's weird. John seems like he's talking about Old Elk. <laughs> <laughs> weird. Is I mean, I talking about that. You're totally right. I mean, that's the only way it gets weird. And I don't think there's any synergy to MGP buying Old Elk because like clearly uh, they know what's going on. But on the other side, I have to say, and this is kind of my final note as well, MG, or, you know, Penelope here makes a, a really great point for MGP and it gives them kind of a skunkworks project too, right? Like Penelope is established. They're very popular in all the markets they're in. Unlike Remus and Rossville, which it seems like MGP has a really tough time selling because they put almost no effort into like really building the backstory and the narrative and finding that target audience and trying to figure out who that product is made for. Um, but Penelope have tried all sorts of crazy stuff, including the rose cask, which we had never seen from anyone. And a lot of people and it was I good. catch saying like, ooh, it's just finished whiskey. And I'm like, but it takes gigantic balls to be like, hey, we've never seen this specific wine finish. Let's try rosé. And then, you know, be like, oh, it works, but we're running out of rosé. So that's ah, cool. We'll just buy a winery so we have plenty of rosé. And then, oh, by the way, you know, like hopefully someday we actually get to taste the the rosé wine itself because I'm a huge rosé lover. So, you know, the finishing, this Valencia is an orange wine finish. We've got the rosé finish. We've got the Rio coming up, which is a honey and Amberana finish. There's so much access to experimentation and knowledge that these guys have picked up that I could really see them coming into the MGP production facility, which has always been very traditional, very standard, extremely skilled, extremely renowned, but very standard. Like I, I really think that this will be interesting. Like I don't think we'll see like a Remus Valencia finish ever. But for a lot of people who bemoan the fact that they think prices at Penelope are going to go up, that makes no sense because now there's just less of a supply hurdle between the supplier and the brand and right there's all this experimentation there's cool stuff ahead i think so i don't know it's a hundred million i like i gotta say it away from the microphone because my voice goes up every time i say it's a hundred million dollars but if you look at the delta you know it's 105 million dollars today if they hit some performance goals it goes up to 108 million dollars to me that gap shows that this is mostly about buying inventory mostly about buying assets mostly about buying ip and then there's a little bit of things like, hey, these dudes are selling a lot of whiskey. If you sell a bunch more, you know, you'll make a little bit more on that transaction. So I hope that we see way more Penelope Valencia because it's hard to get now. And I really am nursing this bottle. But my takeaway is, you know, this isn't a sellout. Congrats to the dudes. It's a huge transaction. But ultimately, I'm surprised that MGP wasn't doing this already. This makes total sense for them. This is about the best deal they could get. And, you know, smoke wagons off in the corner doing smoke wagon stuff. But uh, Penelope, I think, just has a more interesting portfolio left to right. And so, good for them. Yeah, huge hats off to them. I think this is a great, great deal for everybody involved, really. It's going to work out, I think, also great for the consumer, assuming that things continue to progress the way they are, which I have no reason to think they wouldn't. So again, Mike and Danny, guys, huge hats off. Great job. Excited to see what happens in the future. Definitely. And honestly, you know, we've done many private releases with the boys. We've had a good time growing from the earliest blends, which were young all over the place. We had crazy blending sessions to now we're, we're doing more developed products and cool finishes. And, you know, we've done blends and split them up and toasted them and wine finished them and released like these guys have been such an asset to letting us do wild and crazy stuff in the name of education and just reaching people with whiskey that we thought was cool. So 
Uh, hopefully it continues. You know, we're always kind of in their corner. But um, at the end of the day, this Valencia is great. It's only 97 proof. And I love the ever, like, I love the shit out of it. It's great whiskey. Uh, and I think that's really, really all I got tonight. That's it for me, man. I'm just pumped about the whole thing and really excited that we both chose to drink Valencia for the occasion. Yeah. What a, I, I, some days I'm like, man, we share a brain. And then other days I'm like, we definitely share a brain. And I will leave that up to you guys to decide whether that is a pro or a con. Um, but as always, guys, if you are looking for, uh, more from John, he's over at thebourbonfinder.com. You can find him online and on Instagram. Check him out. He's got a deep portfolio of Penelope reviews. And as always, guys, I am Take, better known as Jay from WhiskeyRaiders.com, who are a huge source of reviews. We've got tons of Penelope in our catalog as well. We also, uh, just to reiterate, we have that Bottle of the Month Club coming up. I think that if you sit at home and you know you're all you're like, oh man, what do I buy next? What do I check out? Is this a risk? Is this good? This bad? This is going to be for you. So check it out at WhiskeyRaiders.com. We will catch you in the next episode. And man, I'm just going to drink some more Valencia. This is good stuff. Cheers, man. Cheers. Cheers.